Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for M Plus subscribers. To get full access, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash M plus. That's M P L U S, or follow the link in the episode description. Mama Mia Out Loud! Welcome to Mama Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about. My name is Holly Wainwright. My name's Mia Friedman. And I am Susan Carland, filling in for Jessie Stevens, who is in the desert. She has been doing her um, maths recaps and things from like hot air balloons and knee deep in sand. And so she's living her best life, but she is not with us today. Before we get started, Mia and I have something we've got to tell you all about. Tomorrow night, we are involved in a bit of a flood fundraiser, aren't we, Mia? We are Thursday night at, I think it's 8pm, but if you buy a ticket, you'll get sent the replay. Beck Sparrow, who is an out louder, she is an author, she is an expert. Uh, she's got an incredibly engaged community around parenting, particularly of teen and tween girls. She's an expert in that area. And she's doing a series of fundraisers. She did one last week with Trent Dalton. I want to say, you know how we keep teasing and just like that, we're saying a comedy concert? Yes, this a is comedy like a, concert. <laughs> this is like a Zoom concert. But no, we're talking about books because Beck's audience is very engaged around books. And Mia yeah. and I are jumping on, we're talking about books that changed us yeah. when we were kids. That kind of stuff but all of the money for the tickets goes to give it who are the organization that we've been talking about a bit on the show who know exactly where to send the money and the items Mm. that people who are affected by floods need and as anyone who's watching the news this week knows this is just getting worse and worse every day so our thoughts are up to you if you're affected but yes if you would like to do your bit and hear Mia and I banging on about stuff tomorrow night eight o'clock we'll put the link in our show notes and on our socials for where you can buy your tickets but on the show today hollywood maths is nonsense why are women playing the mothers of men who are basically the same age and is it sexist and the reality tv conversation that sparked a storm about the way women speak but first we're out there sweating our balls off every day busting our balls Well, then why don't we just get some liquor and those mini cupcakes? Yesterday was International Women's Day and it sort of got (laughs) cancelled. I have to say I had an interesting experience yesterday. My brother rang me to wish me International Women's Day, which I thought was interesting, and he said he was ringing and texting all the women that he loves. Really? And then I got an email from a very large global sporting athleisure brand The subject line was celebrating women, this IWD, and I opened it and it was just a link to buy some sneakers. (laughs) Like it was just literally, (laughs) there was nothing, there was nothing special. (laughs) It was just, here are some sneakers that we make for women. Mm, Hashtag equality. Yeah. 
And it's interesting because International Women's Day, we've always had a bit of a, you know, eye-rolling relationship with it here at Mamma Mia because when you work at a women's media company every day, as we say, is International Women's Day. And sometimes the tokenism of it can jar a little bit, like when radio wouldn't dare do it, but sometimes television go, we're going to have some female presenters today because it's IWD. You know, it's a bit eye-rolly. But certainly it's become much more of a bigger thing. A lot of corporates are involved. There are a lot of events that happen. But yesterday, Abby Chatfield, who is a podcaster and a personality, I guess you would say, a media personality, she did a post that got quite a lot of attention. She was basically cancelling IWD and she said, I want education around consent, domestic violence and sexual assault, how the wage gap actually works and what men can do to actually help. I have to say this is something that we do all the time at Mamma Mia, but again, we are a women's media company. Most of the media don't do that. But she said, I don't want a male CEO to get a pat on the back for gathering everyone into the kitchen for morning tea, set up by his female staff to say thanks for all the hard work, ladies, and to then go back to his office where women are paid less and harassed more. So she sort of talked about all the things that she wants and how it used to be a day of protest and radicalization and now it's become corporatized and tokenistic. Susan, what did you do for International Women's Day? I worked like an absolute dog. <laughs> I worked about a million hours. So I didn't get a single cupcake either now that I think about it. It's really interesting though, listening to what you were reading from Abby and also what you were saying about how it's become really corporate because I was thinking about International Women's Day yesterday and how this is the kind of thing that's actually happened for a long time in the women's movement. The male gaze and capitalism has always tried to jump on what the women's movement are doing and they try to wedge their way in. So you think of the way, you know, beauty products claim to sell women's empowerment and body positivity or the way men's magazines use the sex positivity of the 1970s feminism as a vehicle to justify pornographic pictures of women. This is something that has always happened that businesses and the male gaze jump on what the women's movement are doing and try to co-opt it for themselves. And so it makes sense that, of course, International Women's Day has now become quite corporate as well. You know, I would not at all be surprised if some male-run porn site has an International Women's Day special. Oh, so, yes. You know, that's the kind of thing that would probably be, be happening. And I think we don't see this anywhere more evidently than in the theme of International Women's Day. So I certainly saw a lot yesterday, people with the hashtag break the bias. It was everywhere. So many of the events that I was at and I saw it everywhere. But that hashtag, that like label for International Women's Day, that has been invented by a corporation. People think it's from the UN. A business has bought internationalwomensday.com as a website and every year they just come up with whatever they think businesses oh. will want for International Women's Day and it's always some pithy, alliterative hashtag. So it was break the bias. This year it's previously been press for progress, each for equal. This oh. is a business-run thing. UN women actually come up with the theme for International Women's Day each year and most people don't even know what it is. So like this year, the International Women's Day theme that the UN Women said was gender equality today for a sustainable tomorrow. But not many oh, people are talking about that. Who is that? It's owned by a business. It's owned by a business. It's called Aurora Ventures. They just bought the domain. That's the main domain that people now go to. They assume it's owned by the UN. And that's how we get our oh. themes now. 
the point of all of that is to say I sort of do get the frustration because it has been very corporatized. It does feel like a lot's been vacuumed out from it. It's interesting because I've got a bit of whiplash about this in that, as Mia mentioned, at Mama Mia, and obviously it's a workplace I've been working at for quite a long time now, we have always been a little bit like, well, every day is that, we don't do tokenism. I've noticed over the last, I'd say, five years, International Women's Day become more and more mainstream. Even if you take the sort of corporatization out of it, it's just become much more widespread. So people didn't really used to walk around wishing each other happy International Women's Day, posting on their socials everything from celebrating their mom or their sister or their daughter to the panel they were at that day. It's become bigger and bigger every year, even though I know it is a day that has quite a lot of historical background. It feels like the moment it became mainstream, the backlash sprung up and now that's become mainstream too. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So now within a very short space of time, maybe less than two years, it's gone from this is wonderful, it's our day, let's celebrate. And in a way, you know, a day that may have started as resistance becoming a celebration that's quite common as well. That often happens to movements. And you could say it is our day to celebrate mom, daughter, whatever. But I feel like now the backlash is the mainstream view, the view that you have to have. And is it that once anything becomes popular, Hmm. it then immediately needs to be criticized, which I'm not saying in any way, I don't think it should be criticized. I think that in some ways, the endless panels and cupcakes and flowers on plinths and everything have become very wallpaper. And so it's not surprising that we're looking for different ways to do that now. There's also a bit of me that just hates the way that we have to attack anything that gets to a certain size. So is it so bad to have a day to celebrate women? Is it so bad to have a day, even if it is some male corporate CEOs sitting around going, what do we do for International Women's Day? We better ask the ladies. I know that's not ideal, but is it better than not doing it, than not recognizing it? So sometimes I think, is it just become easier to throw stones? Personally, like you, Susan, I spent it, particularly because the floods in New South Wales and Queensland have trapped a lot of people, kept us where we are. So I spent it not up in the office even or going to events, but just working under my son's bunk bed in the house, <laughs> like trying to get shit done, trying to homeschool my daughter who's back at home because her school's closed due to flooding. My parents are visiting, trying to make sure they're okay. That felt like a very female <laughs> way mm. to celebrate. Mia, what do you think? I won't have anyone criticise cupcakes because I really love cupcakes. I draw the line there. Cupcakes may never be cancelled in my world. (laughs) There was a similar situation on the weekend that I was part of when I went to Mardi Gras in Sydney. And Mardi Gras started, as you say, Holly, as a protest in 1978 where gay men and women marched the streets of Oxford Street and were arrested and their names the next day were published in the newspaper. Many of them lost their jobs because homosexuality was illegal. And now, of course, it is a wonderful celebration. And in the last few years since COVID, it's moved from Oxford Street to the Sydney Cricket Ground. There have been corporate sponsors for a while, but there are a lot more corporate sponsors now because there can be corporate boxes and, you know, tickets can be sold. And a lot of people have said that sucks and it shouldn't be that way. I was there as a guest of one of the corporate sponsors on Saturday night and I was talking to a lot of queer people not that this is everybody's view, but the people that I was speaking to were saying this is has long been the dream of people who were protesting in the streets when homosexuality was illegal and a crime. The idea that Optus and American Express and all these big sponsors 
that's a positive thing because it speaks to the mainstreaming of a fringe or activist movement. I wonder if there's room for all. And again, I'm probably Pollyanna, but when I was watching Mardi Gras on, I wasn't there, obviously, I was watching it on TV. It is strange seeing it in that corporate environment, but the mm. individual groups who are marching, some of them it's a celebration with corporate logos, some of whom are still making very important political points about things that affect the queer community. So within this very broad tent, you've got people making different points. And can that not also be the case for International Women's Day? Can it not be that it can be a day that does force male CEOs to have to think about what to do for the ladies, in inverted commas. And it can be a grassroots moment to organise and it can be a time to um, raise questions that aren't being discussed enough and it can be a time to celebrate. Can it be all those things? I absolutely agree. Like I think of International Women's Day, if nothing else, it's a really good stock-taking day. It's a great day for us to look back and go, look at all the great things that have happened and how far we've come and isn't this great, but also go, okay, these are where the problems are and we need to make some progress on that before we meet again in a year. I kind of also think of it like Mother's Day. You know how people sometimes get upset about Mother's Day. They're like, you should be good to your mother every day of the year, which, okay, yes, true. But unless you're making your mum breakfast in bed every day and buying her flowers every day, you're not making everyday Mother's Day. So why not give your mum a special day, but then also commit to the rest of the year to acknowledging the structural things that are probably happening with your mum, like she's doing an unfair load of the domestic labour or whatever it is. Why can't we see International Women's Day like that as well? I think this idea that unless it's perfect and revolutionary, well, then it's we may as well not even bother. I, I just disagree because most social change is slow and it is incremental and you have to just keep chipping away at it. And this idea that, well, unless everything changes structurally overnight, well, this isn't good enough. I just don't think it should be either or of those things either. And random industries is changing, ladies, for the better. The glass ceiling is now a glass floor. The women are floating above it, and the men are just looking up at them. Mamma Mia out loud! Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Everyone, big news. Don't know if you've heard. A 10-year-old girl has given birth to a baby boy. Well, (laughs) (laughs) not really, but this is what Hollywood wants you to think. I'm talking about a new casting decision. A new TV show called The Crowded Room has cast Emmy Rossum, who is 35, as the mother of Tom Holland, who is 25. You might know Emmy Rossum from Shameless. Tom Holland was one of the recent Spider-Men. I think he's dating Zendaya. Anyway, he's really the internet's boyfriend at the moment, Tom Holland. <sighs> and my daughter and all her friends simp him big time. That's the word. What does simp okay. mean? You may have a crush on him. Suddenly in my house, there's a lot of interest in watching Spider Man movies. Put it that way. <laughs> Anyway, I digress, Susan. Please continue. Okay, yeah, well, the point is a 35-year-old woman is playing the mother of a 25-year-old man. Mia, 
Does this really matter? You were a bit upset. We might even say a tad puffer fish over it this does. one because there's another TV show you're not happy with when it comes to age-appropriate casting. God, I sound like a lot of fun on today's show. <laughs> um, how many things can I cancel in the first seven minutes of <laughs> Mamma Mia Out Loud? Thank God I'm pro-cupcakes. I've just been thinking a lot about the casting of women and what messages it sends. So I reposted something that someone far smarter than me said about teenagers and there's a show called Euphoria that's on at the moment that everybody's watching that Zendaya, funnily enough, is a star of. And it's about teenagers and all the teenagers are played by people in their mid-20s. This was really interesting to me because it's kind of the reverse, but it's the same fundamental point that when you're a teenager, you have pimples, you look gangly. There's something about the way you move in the world and certainly the way you look that's not nearly as self-assured and slick and polished and clear-skinned as in your mid-20s. So when teenagers look at that, they're like, oh, God, I don't look like Zendaya, even if they don't overtly say that to themselves. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got Emmy Rossum, who's 35, who's playing the mother of a 25-year-old. And Holly, when I puffer fished about this the other day in a meeting, you were like, is it really a big deal? Tell me why I should care. And I said, well, I'm the mother of a 25-year-old and I'm 50 and I had him young. I was only 25 when I had my son. And so when I see what it looks like to be the mother of a 25-year-old son on television as someone who could physically not have been that mother, the message that that subliminally sends to me about how I should, in quote marks, look as the mother of a 25-year-old son is really damaging. And it's just the sea that we swim in. It's the toxic soup of beauty standards that we swim in as women. And that's, you know, where I puff a fish about that. Does that make more sense, Ho? Well, it does make sense because I thought that the problem with it was another thing. You know how sometimes, and this is a terrible <laughs> indictment on the state of the world right now, is that sometimes you read a headline that everybody's really upset about and you're like, okay, why should I be upset? <laughs> I better find the way why I should be upset about this because clearly it's something to be upset about. And I thought it was because the women who are actually old enough to be Tom Holland's mum aren't getting the jobs. That's also right? true. Yeah. So I thought it was more like we can't have the w women in their 50s who may have actually be old enough to this appearing on our screens because that would be way too confronting. But that's the same point. So you're 100% yes, right. right. So it's so not there a, are many reasons. Yeah, because it is too confronting to see a woman who is, heaven forbid, Olivia Coleman, for example. It's that idea of la the last fuckable day skit with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Patricia Arquette. Is it is it someone's birthday or? Oh, <laughs> kind of the opposite. We're celebrating Julia's last fuckable day. Yes, salute. And they talk about that Hollywood doesn't know what to do with women when they're not young enough to be milfs, but they're too old to be Dame Judi Dench and Helen Mirren. So it's like as the mother of a twenty-five-year-old in Hollywood, you've still got to be a complete hot, sexy babe. I think. Time has finally collapsed for women in Hollywood to a single point. They are now all an amorphous blob of a single age. So if Nicole Kidman played the mother in this show, she'd look similar to Emmy Rossum, even though chronologically she could reasonably be Tom's mother. So biologically young or old, all women are now a single undefined age. We have reached that point. Like you said, Mia, perpetually young and hot, but they can still be maternal and serious too. And they are all 
this undefined but clear point in time and they cannot divert from that. They are now a singularity. So true. And you know what? Sometimes it's very confusing because, and what I'm about to say might sound bad, but there is an aging casting issue that niggles me so much it ruins my enjoyment of the show. And that is with The Morning Wars. You know, The Morning Show, the show with Mm -hmm. Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston. Now, if you've ever watched that show, the premise of it really is that the Reese Witherspoon character is an upstart, a challenger, a journo who's come onto the morning show to challenge <laughs> the woman who has so been on true. it for 25 years. And that woman is played by Reese Witherspoon, who is in her late 40s. And she looks a very unspecific age, as you've described, Susan. But every time I watch it, I think that character should be 28. They should be 28. They Mm -hmm. should be a young person Mm -hmm. coming onto the screen. The ambition of youth and they're not really knowing what to do and not caring about challenging the structures of power that are in place and all that stuff should have been played by a 28-year-old actress, but it's not. It's Reese Witherspoon. And she's a great actress and all those things. But is it that... (laughs) We're just so confused about the ages of women, as you suggest, Susan, now that it's just become, it's just a suggestion. It's just like a broad suggestion. But she looks the same age as Jennifer Aniston. They both look this indeterminate age of being in your kind of mid-30s, perhaps. And she would never have got that job because they wouldn't have hired that that person to be the challenger. Anyway, I know I'm going down a rabbit hole, but it's like when it comes to casting and ageing and the problems associated with it, sometimes... I feel it goes in lots of different directions. I also want to make the point about teenagers that from what I know about euphoria, if actual teenagers were doing the things that the teenagers were doing on the TV show, it might be illegal. So they probably needed people (laughs) over 21 to play those parts. But I totally get your point is that no teenagers look like Zendaya, not really. bringing another problem to the table today. This is Wednesday. We're all a bit cranky. We've got problems. We've got problems. And yet again, I'm discussing a story that has sprung at me from a certain television show that is called Married at First Sight that I always say on this show, I resolutely refuse to watch except very occasionally by accident, sometimes maybe. But anyway, even if you don't watch it, it's impossible to avoid because everything that happens in maths, as it's known, is bigger than maths, it seems. It sprouts a little cultural conversation that goes somewhere else every time anyone does anything. And this week, a woman on a maths smashed a glass on a table in front of a lot of other women in a rage over an insult. Now, that's not cool. It's not particularly surprising behavior on maths, but it's not cool at all. But the internet is broadly siding with the glass smashing woman because they think her rage was valid. And she was reacting to some comments about her voice. Here is a little grab and I apologize in advance for the uh, all-round level of angst. It's literally how I talk. But you're telling me that the way I speak is wrong. wrong. Do you know how that comes off? It's not okay. It's aggressive. So what? The woman you can hear shouting. What just happened? Yeah. So the, the woman who is you can hear shouting is called Dom. Her family is of a Italian Holly, heritage. everybody was shouting. What are you talking about? <laughs> the, the woman who was saying, you're criticising the way I speak, just before she smashed the glass, she said, all my life people have been telling me I speak wrongly. And she is, her family's of Italian heritage. She says that she's been 
called out for being the, too loud, too aggressive and wrongly pitched. Now, that example, obviously, by that time, she's angry. So she's shouting. But she was talking more broadly. And Adrian Tam, a writer here at Mamma Mia, wrote a piece about this, about why there are a lot of people maybe who are coming to Dom's defense today, saying that she's being told her voice isn't good enough is a really common experience for migrants. So as Adrian writes, especially when you're a migrant who can't speak English or can't speak English well, you get judged for it a lot. Adrian is of Fijian background. She says, I've overheard comments from people over the years about the way Chinese people speak. We always sound like we're arguing when all we're doing is speaking. Mandarin and Cantonese themselves can sound harsh and abrupt. It's not a romantic language the way that French is. Other people identified with Dom because they identified with being told that she was too loud because we don't like women to speak loudly. I certainly have friends in my life who are loud talkers who would very much resonate with that. And Mia, you're watching another show about a famous white woman this time whose voice is also not good enough. So my question is, why are we always policing women's voices, Susan? I have so many feelings, so please settle in, clear schedule, everyone, because first of all, I think the racial element that the article identifies is a really, really important one. I'm not going to touch on that, but I think that we don't talk about that enough. I am going to talk about the gendered side just because that's something I'm more familiar with because this is 100% gendered. The way we talk about women's voices, the way we talked about women's voices has been decidedly critical and gendered for a long time. And we can talk about individual men having annoying voices, but we don't talk about it as like a, a pattern problem across men. This isn't new. Like in the 70s, they didn't want to have women's voices on the radio because they were thought they were not authoritative enough. And whatever women's do, voices do then, now, it often gets clumped under this umbrella of irritating, that women have irritating voices, that that's how we talk. And they go through sort of phases in history. So we're kind of at a moment where we talk a lot about vocal fry. You guys remember that? We'll probably talk yeah. about it soon. You mean yeah. like Kim, Kim Kardashian. Kardashian. Yeah. yeah, kind of where you go gravelly yeah. at the end. But also there was a time when we talked a lot about upspeak, which is where you finish your sentences up on the end. It's like it's a question. Women get criticised for this all the time, even though we know men do this too. There's research from the 70s about men using vocal fry and how masculine it was and how it was great. But women are always pulled up on these things. There is this great letter, an open letter was written. There's a podcast called 99% Invisible. They got so many letters from people and emails from people complaining about the women hosts on the show that they created a form letter. And I want to read it to you. This is what the form letter says. Hello, you've written in to voice your dislike of one of our female reporters' voices. You are not alone. We have a filter set up that automatically sends these types of emails into a folder labelled zero priority. We'll review this folder and consider the complaints within it well never amazingly we don't even have a folder for our complaints about male voices on our show because we have never gotten one isn't that strange we think so anyway hope you can continue to enjoy our free podcast somehow and if you can't there are plenty of shows that don't feature women's voices at all this is a thing women's voices are particularly policed and criticized in ways that we don't to men. And then the hard thing is for women, if they're told you do up speak too much, why do you talk like this? So then they try to employ vocal fry and drop it down. It's like the criticism we're given in the workplace. Be assertive, but not too assertive. No, that's not the right balance. We don't just let women be. 
And the effect of it is ultimately to shut us up because as soon as you make a woman insecure about the way she speaks, she's going to stop talking in public. Mia, you um, have made a, a business out of women's voices, my friend. Don't you know how irritating we all are? <laughs> it's true. I was just thinking about how I tease you about your voice hole so she much. She does. She does, Susan. About wow. I, only the way I love Holly's voice and listeners to this show I know worship Holly's voice. It's so soothing, isn't it? But she does this thing sometimes like when she's like wanting to focus and she'll go, okay. <laughs> I, I sound like one of Marge Simpson's sisters. Yeah, she goes, okay, okay. And I do it back to her. So I've made her, but it's worked because I've made her so self-conscious about it that, and embarrassed that she doesn't do it anymore. So mm, Shutting hot, down women always. Exactly. Great. Jesus, I'm silencing women one word, one woman at a time. So, yes, look, I have worked adjacent to radio. I used to a long time ago. And the wisdom always was nobody wants to hear women's voices on the radio. Nobody wants to hear women's voices. And that's why still to this day on any breakfast radio shift, there'll be at least one man for every woman. Sometimes I know that Fifi Box in Melbourne, every time I go to Melbourne and I see those posters with the breakfast show hosts, there'll be like Fifi with two guys, then Fifi with three guys. And I think now it's about Fifi with six guys. She's amazing. She could host a show all by herself, but heaven forbid someone put Fifi with another woman because there's this idea that women's voices are irritating and you look at people like Margaret Thatcher I'm watching The Dropout at the moment which is a terrific uh, you know dramatization of the Elizabeth Holmes story she was the Theranos founder and she was a young woman who was made to feel insecure about being a young woman running this health tech company which probably she should have felt a bit insecure because (laughs) she's just been convicted of fraud the technology didn't actually work. One of her signature things was that she dressed in a certain way and she lowered her voice. So it was this really weird, deep, unnatural voice. This is what happens when you work to change things. And first they think you're crazy, then they fight you. And then all of a sudden you change the world. And people who know her and it's reflected in the show actually show her trying to make her voice lower. At Theranos, we are developing new technology, new Technology. This is an inspiring step forward. I was reading something else really interesting today about International Women's Day that spoke about angry women's voices and how only very conventionally attractive white women are allowed to speak in angry voices. Mm. If women of colour speak in angry voices, there's a whole trope and a whole stereotype that's very negative around that. I got an insight into partly why this is so heavily policed when Jesse made me listen to Joe Rogan a while ago. Remember how Jesse's always trying to make me listen to Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson or some problematic man, and I respect her for it. Joe Rogan was having a big whinge on his show about the way Jacinda Ardern talks oh. and how it makes him feel like he's being told off. Yes. And that was like a little aha moment because I think that if men are the gatekeepers, I'm sure there's a certain amount of internalized misogyny here that means this is not only men, but if men are the gatekeepers of whose voices get to be broadcast and speak publicly and their only visceral reaction to a female who's speaking in an authoritative way or an emotional way is either being nagged at or roused on by their mother or their mm-hmm. wife because mm-hmm. maybe there aren't that many other women in their worlds. Mm. 
they've got like a visceral reaction to that that is very specific because he played a little clip of Ardern and he was like, doesn't that just sound like the worst thing in the world? Doesn't she just sound like such a punish? Doesn't she just sound like that? And I was like, uh, no. Like to, to me, that's not my reaction. But clearly to the men who are riding in in their droves when they feel like they're being yelled at by a woman who is speaking authoritatively, those are maybe, and I don't want to play like armchair psychologist, but the buttons that are being pressed in their brain when they hear that. You know, we're at this stage where it's, you know, we accept that bodies come in all shapes and sizes and all bodies are okay. We should be able to do that with voices. But I would now like to argue against myself. Okay, go. <laughs> go ahead. Because, <laughs> you know, we should accept all voices and ways of speaking and whatever. But then I do wonder if professionalism isn't irrelevant. Like you should talk a certain way in a professional setting. I wear professional clothes when I go to work, although we did have a meeting earlier and I did join you in my stinky gym clothes. So uh, caveat on that. But when I do that, when I wear businessy type clothes to work, I don't feel that I'm changing who I am as a person. I think we all sort of adapt to different settings. So is it the same with our voices that in certain settings, you know, the way I talk to my best friends is not the way I talk to my grandfather, for example. So we adapt our tone, our intonation, our affectation. I wonder, is that also just, you know, how I sit in church is different to how I would lie on my couch. We recognise this and I wonder maybe, in fact, with our voices, I don't know, is that a thing? I think that is a thing, but I think that can also quickly turn into a stick to beat people with, right? Because I know that certainly I'm around my parents a lot at the moment and they are obviously of a different generation and, and maybe a little more traditional and they're obsessed with whether or not they can understand all the enunciation on the TV or on a TV show or I can't understand the way that person speaks. It's not a racial element. It's more about mumbling or speaking quickly or, you know, all those things. And I can understand why. I mean, when I grew up in Britain, there was only one accent allowed on the news. And it was what we call in England RP, received pronunciation, which is a very posh and proper way of speaking where you enunciate everything correctly. And there's only one way to pronounce any vowels. Like you have to say glass. Holly, that sounded amazing. I think you should talk like that. I was just like, who is this smart, impressive woman? See, if I speak in my Mancunian accent, which is much like flatter, faster, all those, those accents didn't used to be allowed on the TV and radio there because they didn't come with authority. So I agree with you, Susan, that when you're speaking publicly, you need to make yourself understood and you also don't want to alienate people with your language and your tone. But at the same time, there has to be a lot of different ways to speak. Before we go, we have a recommendation. And first of all, Mia has an apology for a recommendation she made last week, I believe, a correction. Oh, yes. So I started getting DMs the day after I recommended watching Better Things on Binge and someone DM'd me and said, I can't find it. Where was it again? And I was just like, come on, do your homework. Don't make me do it for you. And then I got more DMs and then I actually went to watch it myself. And would you believe the day that I recommended it, it was taken off Binge for reasons I do not know. So now if you want to watch Better Things, you've got to buy it on Apple TV. It's like, you know, when you have to buy a season, it's like $3 an episode, which I have because I love it that much. But I'm so sorry for giving everybody a bum steer. It literally happened on that day. We do have recommendations, though, that are um, free to view, which is Mia and I were talking earlier about how 
really right now, we're all just looking for some lightness. We're all looking for some humor. And I'm also looking for things that I don't have to invest in that heavily. Without talking to each other, we both went to the same place, actually. We both went to ABC Comedy. (laughs) And Mia, what did you discover? I discovered a show called A Very Moody Christmas, which I think I'd seen before on iView and dismissed it as being some cooking special. Anyway, it's not that. It's very, very funny comedy. It's not new. It's about 10 years old. And it's basically this guy who comes home to have Christmas with his family. He lives in London. He comes home every Christmas day and it looks at Christmas Day over a series of years with this extended family. It's very, very funny. It's not a documentary. It's a comedy. And there's lots of familiar faces in there. It's Aussie and it's just great. I started watching the second season of Starstruck. We recommended that last year, which is the comedy about a Kiwi woman in London who starts dating a movie star. Second season so far, not quite as great as the first, but still ticks that box of lighthearted short episodes, but clever. And I also started watching in the same vein as Mia discovering old things. I started watching Fisk, which I had never watched, but is now two seasons in. What's that about? So it's Kitty Flanagan, the comedian Kitty Flanagan. And she plays this kind of Speaking of the way women are policed all the time for how they should be, walk, talk, she plays a lawyer who goes to work as a solicitor in a firm that deals with death probate, you know, like wills and that kind of thing. And it's a very clever, gentle, a little, not folksy, it's not folksy at all. It's sort of shocking and, and alarming and she's brilliant and very funny and it's full of very pointed little moments about being the wrong kind of woman too. So Fisk is excellent. ABC iView for all of the distraction while the world continues to be possibly not what we thought mm. it was going to be. Gosh, we were year. cranky on this episode, weren't we? We have been a bit cranky. <laughs> we need a cupcake. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I need. Why did no one bring me a cupcake yesterday? Oh, no. Hate women. That's true. <laughs> Susan, thank you so much for joining us. I know down there in Melbourne you are not affected by the floods. Big shout out to all of the Melburnians who are going, what is going on? Go get some sun for us. <laughs> no, we are seeing it. We're seeing what's happening in New South Wales and Queensland and it's awful. It's horrible. We are with you in spirit. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mamma Mia Out Loud. It was produced by Emma Gillespie and the executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. And on yesterday's subscriber segment for International Women's Day, we spoke about the moments our bodies ruined for us. Inspired by a group of very famous women talking about their most embarrassing moments, we shared a few of our own and why for women it always seems to be bodily related and why that's a problem. Here's a grab. It feels so innate that whether it's grooming or whether walking around your life Worrying about how you look every single day almost feels normal and just part of being a woman, which, of course, it's not. It's socialised. It's like a tax on Yeah, men. and it's part of the, the mental load that I suppose we often take for granted and we can look back at our lives and think of so many moments and experiences that were ruined because we were so fixated on how we looked. Like mm. I remember finishing school and hating hating formals, hated them because of the emphasis on how you look. Thank you, Susan. Bye. 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 Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation.
we pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.